I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Jim, how are you doing today? Got your coffee? You're all set up? I got my coffee. I'm all set up. And we haven't recorded in, I guess, it's not really two weeks, but it's like a week and a half. So that feels kind of weird. Yeah, it um, does feel kind of weird. So, but I'm otherwise good. How about you? I'm good. I'm a little sleepy, but I took a big shot of coffee right before we started. So hopefully that'll get me through. Nice. Nice. That's great. Speaking of coffee, there's a lot of stuff about food right now in diets and uh-huh. calories and losing weight. Yes. There, I feel like there always is. It's like the human condition, you know? Mm-hmm. And that got me thinking about what the heck a calorie even is. Yeah. Yeah. It's and like we talk about it in terms of dieting and stuff like that, but otherwise it kind of seems arbitrary. Like it doesn't really play into many of our lives pretty much until we're trying to diet. Oh, 100%. And I think a lot of people know, okay, so maybe they know something really basic about what a calorie is, but who actually knows how the food on the labels is calculated? I I should know some of this because I did a nutrition science class where we talked about some of that, but I just don't remember very much of it. I just remember it being a lot less legit than it seemed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, we're going to give you the legit science definition of a calorie. Sweet. And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with what you find. Awesome. Okay. Thing number one. What do you know about a calorie? Before we get started, what do you know about a calorie? Um, hmm. I guess not very much, honestly. I feel like there's the part of me that... that wants to just grasp at straws, um, wants to say that it has to do with energy. Like it's a way of trying to divide up food into its like potential amount of energy it can give the body, something like that. That's actually very accurate. Nice. I just remember it being like really not about like dieting and stuff like that. It was like a, a unit that was made before that kind of stuff. Um, and it, it's had a lot more significance since then. But that's something like exactly that. exactly right. Yes. It's not just something like that. It's exactly like that. So a calorie, the original definition of a calorie is kind of murky. I read this whole paper. We'll link to it. That's called The History of the Calorie in Nutrition. Mm-hmm. It was in a peer-reviewed journal. And they even talked about how some people say it started here and some people say it started here. So the very beginning of it is kind of murky. Weird. But it's a mystery. It's kind of a mystery because people talked about cal- caloric, which it was a French word that Lavoisier used, all kinds of stuff. Lavoisier, nice. I remember him from chemistry in college. I know. I didn't know he was related to calories. I can't really remember what Weird. he's from. Do you remember what he's from? He figured out that water was made up of more than one thing. Like he was like... Wait a second. What if water is not like just this element on its own, but what if it's made up of other things? And How do you remember that? He did something to, to, to separate the hydrogen from the oxygen. I don't know how he did that, but it was like very rudimentary. It just got him close enough to, be, to figure out like, whoa, it's more than one thing. Uh, th- how did you remember that? Dr. Marshall, um, 
did a good job at, at making it feel like a story, I guess, is probably part of it. But yeah, I don't know. That might be like one of the few things I can remember in detail. But it was pretty early in that class, I think. I think I would really benefit from a history of chemistry class. Okay, so, but with all that, mention of Lavoisier, read an article about it. The original definition of a calorie. Are you ready for it? Yes. As far as we know, what I would say it was defined as most recently in history before its current definition. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. It was defined as the amount of energy it takes to raise one gram of water by one degree Celsius. Whoa. Does that definition sound familiar? Yeah, it sounds like specific heat. That's exactly right. One calorie is equivalent to the specific heat of water. What the heck? I know. But, I mean, maybe we're going to go into this, but how would you even take that from describing that about water to things that are not water that are food, or that, I mean, obviously water is in them, and then we're talking about its effect on our body. Like, that just seems like a huge jump. Right. So it's the specific heat of water, but it's just a measure of energy. So they were using it as a measure of energy. They standardized it as 4.184 joules. I'm not sure when that happened, but that way water can be kind of finicky when it's at different pressures and all that. That Mm -hmm. can have some effects. So they just standardize it at 4.184 joules, which is generally the accepted specific heat of water. And it's just a way of measuring energy. Hmm. That's it. Weird, dude. And it goes, basically a calorie, the answer to what is a calorie is the same question as why is water and sand at the beach different temperatures. Mm -hmm. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that's really weird. It's like everything is connected. (laughs) Goes all the way to the top. (laughs) Well, there's some word we could attribute to the science of all these things that are connected Uh, (laughs) wouldn't that be nice that would be nice i can't think of any but maybe if i come up with something i will okay awesome so that's the definition of a calorie it's basically just a unit of energy okay but your question made me realize i don't know when they started to get get in on the like when did it become popular as like food calorie yeah And it is interesting that it became something that's so widely used in human energy needs. And it seems like the path to get there was kind of murky. It went from being used by physicists and engineers and experiments early on to being something sort of different and not used as consistently in the sciences, but more in popular culture. We can talk about that in a little bit, though. Okay. Okay. So... Basics, calorie is just a measure of energy. It's an amount of joules. It's just the specific heat of water. Okay. But how do you measure how many calories is in the food you're eating? How do you know how much energy that is giving your body? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) What if if you asked that question like that and then I had like the answer? (laughs) <laughs> every time. Like these are obviously then, rhetorical ones that I don't know the answer to, but it's like, I mean, could it be like, maybe there's some sort of, I have like a great chemistry answer. Like, I would just say my, how the tables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was risking that with this one. Cause it's an early chemistry topic, but <laughs> okay. So 
the way you measure calories is by a calorimeter. Okay. And what a calorimeter does is it specifically is designed to measure heat changes that come with a physical or chemical process. So a really common one is known as a bomb calorimeter. And the reason it's known as a bomb calorimeter is because you're heating a closed container. Have I told you the story about my organic chemistry lab professor in college? I don't know. I don't think so. We were doing an experiment and the group next to me said, do we heat this with the lid on or the lid off? And he just looked at them and he said it out of the side of his mouth, sort of. If you heat a closed container, that's a bomb. And then he just walked away. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, (laughs) so taken aback. It's the original mic drop. He just said, yeah. He just told them they were trying to make a bomb, basically. And then it makes so much sense. If you heat something that's closed, eventually it's going to explode. Right. Yeah. Weird. I know. So I think about that a lot when I'm making decisions about if I'm going to heat something that's perfectly sealed or not, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that that's a fun story. But I, that's why it's known as a bomb calorimeter is because it's perfectly enclosed. Mm-hmm. So you've got it. And imagine sort of a metal box with a single cord that goes down that can ignite something on fire, but it's sealed off. It's still closed. You can just ignite it. Mm-hmm. And that is surrounded by water enclosed in another box. Got the picture in your mind? I think so, yeah. And that water is closed off but has a thermometer submerged in it so that we know the temperature of the water. Okay. You ignite the food inside the bomb calorimeter, inside the very middle. It burns, and the heat from the burning food transfers through the walls of the interior container to the water, and the water's temperature increases by a certain amount of degrees. And because we know how much energy it takes to raise water by Mm -hmm. a certain amount of degrees, then we know how much heat the thing that is burning has given off. Huh. And that's how much energy it has. Weird. That kind of seems like, like I don't know another way to put it, but it seems like a little bit of a primitive way to do it. Well, that's a very simple, that's a simple bomb calorimeter they have it's well insulated they have you know more stuff to that yeah. to it than that but that's the basics is essentially you burn something enclosed in water and you determine the amount of energy based on how many degrees the water's heat increases mm. so if you have it really well insulated and are doing it in a true scientific bomb calorimeter it's not that primitive it's actually very accurate i guess just meaning that like you have to destroy it to know how much it is. That's kind of, I guess what I, what I mean. Primitive might be a bad word for that, but I mean, like, it kind of seems like, wouldn't it be nice if there's a way to figure it out on an item without it being destroyed? Oh, don't worry. There is. Oh, okay. But you had to do this destruction to other things first, but we'll get to that. Right. Some foods so, did have to die. So that some others foods, could live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some foods had to be harmed in the making of this podcast. Got it. Okay. Understood. So that's the basics of 
what a calorie is and how you can measure a calorie or energy in general, really. Okay, so there is an experiment where students even get to do this, Mm -hmm. where they have a food that they, it's suspended usually on a cork or something like that. It's like, it's not being held directly by the student and they light a chip or a marshmallow or something on fire and it heats up a can of water, a coffee can or a soda can that's had the top cut off or whatever. And they use a thermometer to measure how much the water's temperature changes And then students can figure out how many calories are in their favorite potato chip or whatever. Huh. I got to do that when I was in college and thought it was amazing. Interesting. That's so weird. But also cool. So weird. So cool. I think it's such an interesting way of testing how much energy is in something. Yeah. It's amazing to me even that you can that we did that experiment in the lab in the first place. I was amazed, but also that that's all stuff that you can kind of make at home. I think there are ways experiments that you can look up where you can safely try to figure out the calories of something just in your own home, Mm -hmm. which is so cool to me. Yeah, that's cool. That's crazy. And then you can visualize what's happening when you eat food and your body uses that energy just like a fire burns up that energy and heats the water. Yeah. Is it possible for there to be things that have energy in them, but that are hard to catch on fire? Should we not go there? I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. My instinct is probably not, but I don't know. I saying like chips. I've, I already, I've heard that they're good for sticking on fire. Sometimes people even use like a corn chip or some Fritos to start fires on, on a campsite. On purpose, that brings him with them for that reason. I'm like, there's got to be things that are like. Mm, I thought of one. What's that? Like soda. Yeah, you can't exactly. You can't burn soda. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you had the individual ingredients out out of it, you could burn it in some way. But like, okay, so that brings me to a nice point. Nowadays, people don't burn the food every time. Mm-hmm. What happens instead? is you can determine the macro ingredients as it's known in common culture, fat, protein, carbohydrates, alcohols, and the calories of those are standardized based on bomb calorimetry. Okay. Those things have been burned over time. And now there is a standard for how many calories is in each carbohydrate, each fat, each protein gram present and standardized by grams. Mm -hmm. And they can determine that and use those grams and figure out the nutritional content, the calories of your food without burning anything anymore. Wow. So as long as they can figure out how many carbohydrates and fat is in your soda, you're in good shape. That makes sense. That's a lot more what I would be used to. Like they have numbers that are already standardized in some way and they figure it out from there. But that's how they were standardized. They were burned I believe a certain number of samples was burned and then the average was come to based on that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. There's one more thing though. Okay. So now you know what a calorie is. It's the energy required to increase one gram of water by one degree Celsius. Mm -hmm. And you know that they find that by burning food and determining how much heat 
Izzy is let off by that sample. Okay. But the calorie that we know from our food labels is not the same thing as the calories that scientists talk about. Okay. Calories on your food labels are standardized with a capital C. Mm -hmm. They're known as food calories or kilocalories. Ah, yes. I've seen kilocalories before and I've wondered like, how is that different? Is that a thousand calories or what? It is. A thousand calories is equal to one calorie with a capital C, one kilocalorie or one food calorie. Got it. So before a calorie was a much smaller unit with a lowercase c and what Mm -hmm. we have all been used to is a much larger unit made up of a lot of the small c calories. Got it. And I imagine, but I don't know for sure that that Probably it was easier to say than, for example, there's 9,000 calories in this chip. Right. It's a lot easier to say there's nine calories in this chip. Totally. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Or nine kilocalories. Mm-hmm. And over time, I think it just got shortened. Yeah. So I looked into a little bit of the history of how that even happened. How in this article about the history of a calorie and nutrition, how it became so popular to use calories. Why didn't we use joules? Why didn't we use calories instead of kilocalories? How did this happen? Yeah. And I read that the calorie began to enter American vocabulary after Atwater explained the unit in a magazine, in Century Magazine. Hmm. And then the USDA Farmers Bulletins started to provide the U.S. food databases to be used in dietetics. And that, I think, made it more and more common. That was in about the late 1800s. Yeah. And the interesting line to me said that the most important avenue was the USDA's Farmer's Bulletins, which provided the first U.S. food databases to be used in dietetics. Then, as now, American audiences were interested in managing weight and the calorie was soon introduced in articles and books. For example, Dr. Lulu Hunt Peters' best-selling diet and health with key to the calories specifically cited the Farmer's Bulletin as a source of information. Hmm. So it just seems like this one person explained a system based on calories and before even the 1900s, that became common. Is that book, Diet and Health with Key to the Calories, that came out in 1918. Wow. Interesting. So as early as the late 1800s, early 1900s, people were already thinking about their diets Mm. and calories. And it just became standardized as the way we talk about food energy. Wow, that's weird. I did not know it went back that far. I would not have expected that. I would have expected like maybe 50s or 60s. I know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Weird, dude. That's crazy. So the person who wrote about that at water. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he made the system or if the system is named after him, but the system that they use now to define the calories in food is called the at water system. Interesting. Got it. Mm -hmm. So it all goes back to this one person at water who seems to have taken it from the scientific realm and put it into popular culture with century magazine. Wow. And it's hung around. I mean, for a long time, it's, it doesn't show any signs of going anywhere either. 
for a very long time. So weird. I know. Isn't that so interesting? It kind of makes sense. I mean, in the sense that if there wasn't already something, some way of measuring what we eat across all the different kinds of food, I'm sure that was like a much needed system. So whether someone was going to try to come up with one on their own um, or look around in science and see, is there something here I could just borrow that would work? (laughs) Well, and I think it's interesting too that people were even thinking about their weight that far back. Mm. You know, I think of diet culture as new and trendy and whatever, but apparently people were interested in their weight and what they were consuming as far back as the early 1900s, late 1800s, which is feels like a time that is so far removed from me. Yeah, totally. It feels like the things that we do experience in terms of art and culture and stories and history that are passed down to us, it doesn't seem like it's as part of the concern for the average person, but we just don't know. It's not. It's just not mentioned. It's not like we're told that it's the opposite in for most of us what we hear from those time periods. Um, so we just kind of, I guess, assume that it wasn't part of people's concerns what they're eating and stuff. But it seems like it was. Yeah, I think. I think we assume that it, but wasn't part of people's concerns, and it's just interesting to know that people were thinking about and had the same tools that we have now. I mean, obviously technology has changed so much, but the same basic tools that we have now mm-hmm. to be able to figure out what they were eating. Yeah. And they were talking about their food in the same way that we talk about it now in ways that we think are so trendy and new, you know? Yeah. It's just really interesting. Yeah, that is. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's a much more unusual story about what it, calories even are and where they came from and how they got to become specific to food, all that stuff. Just like very weird. I would not have predicted that was the story behind it. Well, next time someone asks you how many calories is in something, you should add a thousand to whatever you say (laughs) just to get a good response and then explain that it's a lowercase calorie that you're talking about. Oh, you were asking how many kilocalories. I didn't, I didn't hear you say kilo. I'm sorry. I, I, I must have missed that. It's so weird. How many calories are in this Dr. Pepper? Oh, 150,000 calories. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. You you meant, you didn't mean scientific calories? <laughs> yeah. That's one of those, like, people love you at a party when you do that kind of stuff, you know? <laughs> Definitely love you. Yeah. It's like, oh, sorry. I couldn't hear the capitalization in your C that indicated that it was a food calorie. <laughs> okay. Are you ready to try to say it back to me? I'm super ready. Okay, so we've got um, bodies and we eat food. And so what's difficult is that naturally the food we eat affects us. And if we wanted to have any semblance and any um, way to get a grasp on how much we're eating and how much it affects our bodies and how much energy it is, we'd have some sort of system. And yet our foods are so crazy different from each other like we've got vegetables that you can eat straight up raw and then you've got you know chicken that's cooked and whatever else and so having some sort of system of understanding how like what is in our food and how to like standardize it is um is necessary and the way that people found to do that although they, i guess they found it 
it kind of came about backwardly, but is to outside of our bodies, use up all the energy in a piece of food by burning it and seeing how much the energy that is given off by that food in, in the form of heat can raise the temperature of water mm-hmm. in a way that's really similar to specific heat where it's just how much heat is required to, to turn one gram of something and raise its temperature by one degree Celsius. And so basically they get the food that they're burning to do that and see how much it heats up the water. Mm-hmm. And then they use that as the standard for how much energy is in the food that we're eating. Right. And that same process is what's happening in our bodies. It's just that we're not burning it in our stomachs. We are just getting all the energy out that our bodies can get out in a different way with, you know, all those processes that I don't really understand fully, but breaks down the food just like burning breaks down things. Right. It's a chem- both are chemical processes from what I understand. Burning is a chemical process, the chemical change, and then so is when food enters our body and it hits our digestive system, there's some physical changes and some chemical changes that take place. Right, right. And so that helped, I guess, at least get people started on having a way of attributing metrics to what's in food and how much value there is to our bodies in each food, even though some things that we talked about can't be burned. Right. And they've kind of moved away from, I guess, just burning stuff straight up and have been able to standardize it even more. Yeah. And I think they use the work of Atwater to standardize it, but I don't think he developed the exact system that we use today because he did a lot of work in calorimetry as it was coming out when he published that article in Century Magazine. Hmm. So my understanding is he did work and maybe developed a system that was then changed. Hard to know for sure. Hmm. And the moral of the story is that then we, when we eat this stuff, it uh, lets us live mm-hmm. some more. And I think a lot of times what I like about this is it neutralizes calories. Yeah. So I think sometimes we hear about calories being bad or whatever, but calories are just energy for your body. And there's the same amount of calories in every protein, every carbohydrate, whatever. It's been standardized and it's as clinical as a unit of energy in a chemistry lab. So much so that it can legitimately be determined in a chemistry lab. Right. It's not, it's not been tainted by any sort of reputation about certain foods at all or anything like that or relationships that we already had to food uh, or traditions or whatever. It's more like these are the ways that these things react to stuff and then it's been, uh, and the effect it has in terms of energy it gives off. It's not about like this is associated with, you know, like wealth or whatever or just associated with like, like indulgence or anything like that. It's like, right. Totally devoid of all that, which, yeah, I see what you're saying. That That is great. It's just something in a chemistry lab. It's a unit of energy makes your body run. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, because I bet if we just did it, I mean, it would be so subjective otherwise. It'd be like, you have a cupcake and a carrot next to each other. You know, it'd be like, oh, this one's probably not good for you. 
And this one seems like it's good for you. But how are we getting? We're even close. How many carrots equal how many cupcakes? It's just like, how were we even? I don't even know how we start. Well, I'm thankful for science and for them figuring it out. And I really remember doing this calorimetry exercise in lab and thinking how amazing it was that I could figure out the calories in a potato chip that I eat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. That's your science lesson for this week. And on the topic of food, my good thing for my week Uh is about a month ago, there was a new flavor of Spindrift, my favorite beverage. Well, I do love Dr. Pepper, but one of my favorite beverages, pineapple, and my roommates got it so that we could taste test it. Uh And it was amazing. And I was so excited to go back to the store and get some more. And it was nowhere. Uh huh. I wasn't at any of the stores. I went so far as to go to the manufacturer's website and still they didn't have it. You know, what's so funny about that is that I even talked to your roommates and they didn't know what you're talking about. They didn't remember anything about a pineapple spindrift or, or anything. I know that's not true because just this week, Nicole, my roommate, uh-huh. walked in the door cradling two Boxes of pineapple spindrift. Blood smeared all over her face. Her, <laughs> her clothes were torn. <laughs> I was so, so happy and honored. So I think it's restocked. It's back on shelves. I love it so much. I'm so excited. It's the perfect summer carbonated beverage. So nice. That's my happy thing this week is one that my roommate was so sweet to think about how much I wanted it and go just check if it was there. But also, too, that I get to have it again. Yeah. Nice, dude. I got to try it. Sounds good. And if you're wondering, Spindrift has roughly 12,000 calories. Or 12. Or 12 food calories. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of food things I could share about. One, speaking of Dr. Pepper, which you mentioned a second ago, did you know that they just recently came out with a cream soda Dr. Pepper? Limited. I have seen it. Limited run cream soda, Dr. Pepper. Um, I tried it. It's good. It's not mind blowing, but it shouldn't really be trying to be because like, what are they going to do? Reinvent the soda? I mean, how right. how good could it really be? It's, you know, yeah. but it is a nice change. It, it warrants the difference, I'd say. Um, so I tried that. It's not a huge highlight. It was pretty good. I don't drink Dr. Pepper very much anymore, so it's kind of nice to have a reason to 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 buy some and, and try it. But in a huge health power move this past week, my roommates and I did a donut taste test comparison. Oh my gosh. Not knowing that we were going to record this at all. I mean, obviously, I don't know the topics, so unrelated. <laughs> um, in fact, maybe if I had known we were going to talk about this, I would not have done this, <laughs> but... We, there's two donut shops near our home and we don't know which one's better. And so we got comparable, if not, you know, exactly the same kind of donut from each place. Divided them onto four because that's already a lot of donut you got going on. And so we each had a fourth of each donut from one yeah, can shop. Can you imagine if you each had a hole from each shop? We wouldn't oh, be able to, you would be sick. We wouldn't be able to get through it all. And I think you'd, you're your ability to judge between them would get like, it would decrease to be Mm -hmm. like, I'm just tasting sugar now. I can't even, 
just try to oh, yeah. get through it, just trying to survive. So we did that. Each of us had a fourth of each donut from each shop um, and compared. And there was a pretty decisive winner, which was really cool. Um, there were a couple donuts that were like, okay, if you want this one, you got to go to the other shop. For the most part, one shop did win, which was made it really fun. It made it feel really worth it. And we're like, oh, okay, great. Like what well, a shop actually won. And now we know which shop to go to in the future for our donut needs. So <laughs> thanks for sharing about your donut judging adventures that sounds really fun and is a great idea for all of us to have a welcome back to society party once this whole thing is over (laughs) and thanks for listening and learning about calories and consuming them in fun ways and thanks to all of you guys you listeners for coming and learning about calories today as well and thank you for teaching us all about it it's my pleasure melissa and i have a lot of ideas for topics of chemistry in everyday life but we want to hear from you if you have questions or ideas, you can reach out to us on Gmail, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Kim for Your Life. That's Kim, F-O-R, Your Life, to share your thoughts and ideas. If you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the cost of making it, go to ko-fi.com slash Kim for Your Life and donate the cost of a cup of coffee. If you aren't able to donate, you can still help us by subscribing on your favorite podcast app and rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts. That also helps us to share chemistry with even more people. This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson. References for this episode can be found in our show notes or on our website. Jam Robinson is our producer, and I'd like to give a special thanks to A. Collini and N. Newell, who reviewed this episode.